Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness as the term is used in conversations around race and racism and as it pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean and does it matter? Every episode, I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into these questions and many more. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Gauthier Marché, a French research fellow at the Institute of Development Studies at the University of Sussex, where he works on social transformation in context of violent conflict. His current research focuses on education in context of protracted violence, with a focus on the Democratic Republic of the Congo. In January 2021, Dr. Marché published Le Déni Blanc, Penser Autrement la Question Raciale in France, which roughly translates as White Denial, How to Think Differently About the Question of Race. That book will be published in English with possibly a different title to be confirmed, uh, possibly Leaving the White House. The book is a reflection on the mental architecture of whiteness from within and its implications building on the author's personal experience. He's also written on race and whiteness in the context of international research partnerships. Welcome, Dr. Mache. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Thank you. So before we kick off, white denial, how to think differently about the racial question. Um, what made you want to write this book? It's somewhat outside your usual field of study, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's. Um, I guess it was really a personal endeavor. Uh, because uh, I'm not a specialist of uh, whiteness or race. Um, I really wrote it uh, initially as a, as a letter to my children, actually, and the idea was to give them some elements or some keys to how to approach this question, which, uh, which I found uh, very important and yet also didn't have any kind of answers myself. So it was also a bit for myself to formulate things myself. Um, and as... Yes, as I wrote it, um, I found it. I found that there was something really fundamentally hard to formulate. Uh, something uh, of the order of what Achille Mbembe calls uh, l'impensé, uh, the unthought, uh, which I found in myself. You know, kind of almost like the hidden part of the iceberg uh, within yourself. So I found it both interesting and also problematic. I found a kind of tension in trying to formulate these things. Um, and I think I think it's a bit of a tension that a lot of uh, white people of my generation experience, a tension between what we learned about issues of race and colonialism uh, through our education and through our upbringing and what we learn by other means, uh, particularly through music and uh, particularly hip hop, which uh, took charge of, you know, educating us on these issues when uh, there was little education on these issues. Uh, so I, I tried to try to start formulating that and and really the the book is a is is trying to pose the question you know what does it mean to be white today and how do we situate ourselves vis-a-vis uh, -vis this history and when you talk about this kind of iceberg and and how difficult it is to talk about it to describe it to find the right words for it would you say that what's hard about that is because white people just aren't used to talking about race at all and being racialized in the first place. So thinking about race 
and white racial identity is is probably unfamiliar uh, and therefore quite uncomfortable. But I wonder whether there is something else actually to do with the language in which we talk about race and whiteness. Um, what what did you find hardest in trying to kind of render the iceberg visible? Uh, that's that's a that's a very good question. Um, I would say that yes. So first of all, I mean, what authors, uh, several authors on race have have shown is that uh, race operates through invisibility uh, for white people, um, and that invisibility to a certain extent, and that um, is is calculated. It's something that is. Um, almost systematic in education programs, in uh, various forms of uh, socialization. Uh, there is a kind of dismissal or denial of the importance of this question and its relevance for white people. So it's something that both uh, is visible at the individual level and at uh, the collective level. Um, and yes, so as I was trying to to formulate it, it was it was basically because I didn't have any particular concepts uh, to 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 use to deploy uh, for that. And I found, when I found the literature on whiteness uh, relatively late and the concept of whiteness, I found it extremely helpful actually, because it was actually formulating things that I was trying to get towards in a much more, in a much clearer way. Um, and- how, how would you define it then? How, what, what does whiteness mean to you? Um, so I would say that whiteness, um, I think it's 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 a range of practices and and attitudes and discourses and uh, ideologies or ways to formulate ide ideologies that uh, serve the purpose of perpetuating uh, a, a form of power. So a particular configuration of power, uh, which is uh, to a certain extent embodied and um, embedded also in social practices and in attitudes and these types of things, but. Uh, a particular formulation of it, uh, which I found uh, very useful, is this idea of it being a window onto the world. And that's what I tried to to, to develop a bit with the, the central metaphor of the book, which is the idea of the White House, which um, is this basically this heritage of the history of imperialism for, the, for white people, and which is multidimensional. It operates at the level of uh, the intellectual or cognitive level or mental level, but it also operates at the social affective level. Um, so I think it's this idea of it being a window onto the world is 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 particularly relevant. Uh, mm. I found, um, and but I I do think that there's there's another aspect of it uh, which I talk about in the book. Yeah. Um, which which has been highlighted by a lot of auth uh, authors on whiteness. Uh, if you think about the book of uh, uh, the text of Peggy McIntosh on white privilege, uh, this idea of a distortion of humanity, which also uh, Aimé Césaire uh, wrote about in his discourse on colonialism, Franz Fanon, of course, James Baldwin, but the idea of a distorted uh, humanity, uh, which is not always, I think, captured by the idea or the concept of white privilege, for example. Yes. Um, Yes, that's so let's let's talk about that. So this distortion, actually, that, you know, I completely agree with you is such a vital part of the whiteness narrative that actually is so overlooked, which um, 
I sometimes think of it as um, you might have heard of the concept of radical empathy, the idea that you um, diminish uh, also your own humanity when you fail to recognize the full humanity of others, right? Um, so the concept of radical empathy being that we must in all situations seek out the humanity of our interlocutor, which is not always easy. And I'm not talking in the context of race. I'm talking about people who, who harm us in, in different ways. You know, it could be race, but it could be many other things. Um, always trying to seek out that sort of inherent, essential, uh, fundamental humanity within them. And that part of whiteness has been the denigration of the humanity of people excluded from whiteness. Um, what is there a remedy to that? I mean, because it's a pretty serious disease, right? At the heart of whiteness. Uh, yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a good question. Uh, I agree that um, I think uh, that um, distorted humanity is, is a direct kind of uh, historical legacy of a period when uh, white Europeans uh, considered themselves to be superior uh, to, to other people who were racialized. And um, that's uh, basically complex of superiority, uh, which is, which is a very messed up way to conceive your position in the world uh, was never really fully challenged um, in in the context of, of the post-independence or the so-called uh, post-decolonization uh, era. Uh, there wasn't, you know, a thorough debate about, you know, the implications of that uh, on the side of white people. I'm talking uh, in, in the French context and from what I've understood, um, the United Kingdom of, as well. There hasn't really been a wider discussion about the implications of that, you know, instilled and ingrained uh, complex of superiority and what it means of how we conceive um, our relationship, uh, you know, to, to, to the world and to humanity, basically, uh, as such. Um, and I think that's, that's really a legacy that, that has continued and that's uh, manifests itself in a kind of implicit uh, conception of superiority uh, that is still present. Of course, it's not you know, of course, there are many nuances in this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking quite schematically here, but it's yeah. something that is still that well, is still I'm, quite present. Of course. I mean, if we yeah. think of something like and actually this is something I'd be curious to hear your perspective on. But, um, you know, when when, uh, you know, Madeleine McCann, a, a sort of white British child goes missing. This is a, you know, a huge uh, not just tragedy for the family, which anyone with any ounce of empathy would sympathize with but but a national tragedy you know and for years um a, a search uh, was ongoing but we we then have children who are not white whose bodies are washing up on our shores and somehow this is not given the same sense of gravity um do you think that is rooted in whiteness or is it something else um that's that's a very good question. Um, I remember that there was a discussion by Judith Butler on this and um, a big body of thought on, you know, which which lives are, are considered worthy of of grieving and, and implicit hierarchies in the ways that different uh, lives are, are conceived. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think that I mean, I, I think it's it's not necessarily 
and and race more generally is not necessarily just a white European thing. It's uh, as I, as I said, I really see it as a configuration of power. So a legacy of a particular history of power uh, in the European context and in the ways in which um, the relationship of Europe to the rest of the world. So I think it can also happen in other in other cases. But yes, I think it has many manifestations, including uh, basically hierarchies on on which you know lives are which lives are considered more important uh, than others. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, in in the book, I mean, just to come back to the question of how to to get out of that, uh, yes, or how please, to come yeah. back <laughs> to mm -hmm. our humanity, uh, it's maybe not even coming back to our humanity because that would suppose an anteriority, and that anteriority of you know the basically a non-imperial relationship to the world would go back quite far. So may, it, maybe it's mm. more like acceding to our humanity. Mm -hmm. um, but graduating, uh, graduating to humanity, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think I mean that's that's really the question of the book. So the, the the main question of the book is can can we leave the White House? Can we leave uh, this particular disposition to the world, uh, this particular heritage which continues? Um, and I say uh, that I actually don't have an answer to that because I couldn't. I think as first of all a wise man, uh, give a definitive answer to that, and I couldn't not consider that I have you know myself the keys that would you know bring to that answer because that would still be in a positionality where we I would consider as a white person that I have you know the answers to this question I think it's a, I think it's an answer that would necessarily come uh, through a dialogue uh, but I, I do think that uh, there are there are several aspects to it so first of all I do think that we cannot leave the White House in the sense that we cannot leave our own history and that's the first thing is to recognize and really recognize the implications of uh, this history, this history of imperialism and the many manifestations it had and the, and, and the ways that uh, racialized regimes of inequality are continuing today. So the first thing is to actually recognize that and not consider that we could somehow kind of leave our history or leave the bad aspects uh, of our history uh, behind. It's all um, in the past, you know, we need to move on. Why are we still bringing that up? That you're saying no, that doesn't work. Why? Because, because I mean, because it's it's still present and it's still real and uh, it still conditions um, power uh, and relationships throughout the world. It's not the only uh, regime of inequality, uh, inequality regime. I, I like that term. Uh, so mm. racialized regime of inequality, but there are others, of course, and it's not the only form of power uh, that exists. But it's still one that continues in this world, so it still continues to have implications uh, throughout the world. Uh, and um, I, I don't think we can consider that we can just leave that behind. And you know, it's not also it's not up to us uh, white people to decide whether or not it can be left behind. Mm. Um, but so I, I don't think we can leave the White House, the proverbial White House, uh, in that sense. But I do think that we can leave the lies that surround it, uh, the mm. denial, uh, you know, the, the entire complex of superiority and all those, you know, the problematics as aspects of those dispositions to the world. I think that we can try to get rid of and, you know, accede at least to a dialogue. Um, and that would be the first step, I think, uh, you know, coming back to, to or getting to a form of humanity, I would say. 
So unpicking and recognizing the ways in which historical inequalities continue to feed into the present reality. Um, do you, would, would that be the main um, way that you see out of the proverbial White, White House? Are there any other um, measures that people seeking to uh, at least recognize the, the White House that we live in uh, could take that you've that you found helpful? Yes, I think I mean the entire idea of decentering our perspective, and um, so th the many manifestations of uh, an inherited uh, complex of superiority, uh, or or what we need to get rid of, uh, including, uh, for example, for core questions such as values uh, such as you know or fundamental ethical principles or fundamental fundamental moral values not presupposing that these are in any way superior to other forms of knowing or other moral values uh, across the world i think that's also also very important and so learning to be respectful of other ways but also knowing other other ways of actually conceiving the world basically um mm. that has very clear manifestations in the in the domain of academia but you know wide-ranging uh, manifestations and implications so basically being able to take part in a dialogue uh, which uh, without the presupposition and uh, arriving to that dialogue that our position is, uh, you know, superior or better or anything like that, uh, that would be a start. And also, you know, considering that our forms of knowing and our supposedly universalist uh, ideas are just as valuable as others and others are just as valuable as ours. And that's, you know, very kind of schematic way to say it but it has a wide range of uh, implications i would say no i think that's that's very important and I've, I've kind of thought a lot about the concept of humility personally in these conversations which is that um you know a few years ago um i was listening to a debate um in which uh, tennessee coates was um asked to comment on the, the n-word um, by a white student at an American university who was saying, you know, this word really upsets me and, you know, my friends think it's okay to play songs with it. And um, I don't know if you've seen it, but, but his response was very interesting in that he sort of said, you know, as a white person, you don't have to be in every space. You don't have to be in every conversation. In fact, you don't have necessarily to have a voice in every debate. <laughs> and maybe this is one that you don't really necessarily need to speak up on, you know? Um, and I thought that was very interesting in that it is very, very rare, extremely rare in my personal experience for um, white people to be reminded of something that people of color, I think, are often reminded of. Um, we sort of assume that all spaces are ours, that we belong mm -hmm. everywhere, that we have a say in everything that, you know, some kind of God-given right to speak on anything um and 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 so i wonder with whether that's you know rooted in this kind of implicit sense of superiority um that that i think is very much at the heart of whiteness um on that note yes. there is something you wrote in the book that i wanted to read if that's okay um, and maybe get you to tell us a bit more about the analogy you say in leaving the White House, that for a white person in this day and age, and I'm quoting the book now, 
waking up to the question of race is like waking up in the middle of the crash scene of a movie, but entirely unhurt. All around you, you can suddenly see those who've been hurt by the crash, screaming and shouting in pain. But as in those, but as in those movie scenes where they mute the sound, you cannot really hear what they're saying. You can't understand anything they're saying because you can't hear anything, and your senses have gone numb. And as you realize that you are entirely unhurt, you realize that you can just walk away. But this does not mean that you are unaffected. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose this analogy of a car crash? Um, it it was really um, it was really to because in in the book I really tried to use images uh, such as the White House, such as this car crash, but also images throughout the book to kind of anchor uh, what I'm trying to formulate. And I think um, I think the idea of a crash is is even you know a very a very subdued metaphor as compared to the history of for example colonialism and the levels of violence uh, that have been wrought uh, throughout that history um which is something that i progressively discovered and you know haven't fully discovered in any way but as i started to just realize the the absolute scale of you know what was uh, for example the french colonization of the african continent or uh, other historical periods uh, throughout the world, there is really this sense of something that is extremely momentous. And the, the size of it uh, and, and the size of it and the duration of it is something that I, don't, I think like specifically that white people do not realize at all. Um, so it's, I, I chose this metaphor because I don't know, it was a bit like exactly like those scenes where you kind of wake up and you're like, whoa, this is, a, you know, a scene of death and destruction, uh, because, it, of course, uh, you know, th there are much more complex histories, but there, 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 there was this extreme level of violence, and you wake up to it, but you're unhurt, uh, but then there's this idea, but that you're not um, unaffected, uh, there are ways in which it affects you and the way that you think, uh, which I then try to explore, basically, basically in the book. Um, mm. and, I, and I wonder if even uh, beyond just not being affected, you know, um, you, you're actually waking up um, in the car crash and able to drive away in a chauffeur driven, you know, Mercedes yep. <laughs> in yeah. theory. Right. <laughs> uh, whilst everyone else is trying to pick up the pieces from the crash. Um, so it brings me to one of the um, kind of concept which is very um, prevalent in conversations around race and racism which is white privilege um, and you've got a slightly different take don't you on the term white privilege which I thought was very interesting because I actually share your view that we talk about white privilege um, and we should as a set of, of, of you know concrete um, manifestations of a power structure which has favoured people racialized as white um, at, basically at every level um, but there's also another side to it isn't there uh, yes I think uh, I think it's it's really that others that other side is really that side vis-a-vis -vis humanity but also vis-a-vis -vis a form of kind of consciousness and a consciousness of history uh, because if you're completely, you know, uh, ignorant and or, you know, in denial about an entire part of what has constituted, uh, you know, modern history in, in Europe and in many places of the world, uh, you're not basically aware of how the world functions today. 
And that is a fundamental limitation. Uh, and I, I find that sometimes the term white privilege, um, you know, some people can consider it to be, you know, something positive. I, I personally don't. Uh, but, you know, the idea of privilege uh, can have a positive connotation. Uh, whereas um, in the book, I'm really trying to focus all, also on, you know, the negative aspects of, you know, first of all, not being aware of history, but also this kind of distorted humanity, uh, which, which comes from all this. Uh, so not just, you know, to kind of leave white people off, uh, you know, in their privilege, there's something fundamentally, fundamentally problematic, which has been explored. I mean, there's not there's nothing new about this. And for example, Franz Fanon has has explored this in depth. Um, but yes, uh, absolutely. So I, I try to not just focus on the privilege part, uh, but also on the kind of awareness, consciousness aspects of it and ethics of it and morality and, you know, where we situate ourselves today. Yeah, no, it's it's something that I've kind of intuitively um, felt. And I when I read that in your book, it really echoed because I've uh, previously said that, you know, if I was going to write a book on this, it would be titled The Unbearable Whiteness of Being, mm -hmm. um, which which is the irony, actually, of, of mm -hmm. whiteness, which is that it does confer a set of material um, advantages uh, which are unfair and um, in, in reality no one wants to be handed unfair advantages I mean everyone wants advantages but there is something um, almost like cheating right about yep. succeeding in a system that was set up for for your success rather than you know um, having uh, hard earned and fought for that on equal terms with everybody else um, but there's also the belonging to a bit of a, you know, forgive, forgive my uh, French, but um, an, an effed up family. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I didn't I didn't want to be a part of this club, um, but here I am. Um, mm -hmm. And so we must deal with that. But it's it's also it also carries a um, I, I, I mean, how do you feel about it um, at, at almost at an emotional level? Does it is it something that um, that affects you emotionally? Yes, uh, yes, it yes, it does. Um, and, and that's that was really the the core kind of, you know, personal, personal endeavor of writing the book was really to try to kind of deal with that. Uh, not not with, you know, guilt and these types of things. And I think these these debates often get sidestepped by this idea that, you know, we're, you know, as white people, we should feel eternally guilty, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not vis-a-vis -vis that, but more about the fact that, you know, of thinking, you know, what's under what circumstances can I, you know, be in this world in a way that is more healthy, basically, uh, have a healthier relationship to the world. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's that's just fundamental, like in terms of, you know, where because we do live in this world which has been marked by this history. We cannot do anything about it. Uh, about that history, but we can do something about having a healthier approach to that history uh, without, you know, and I completely agree with what you were saying before, without uh, it being all about us whites. And I think this is one thing that is a bit problematic. And I found problematic even the process of writing the book. And, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, is this not a problematic thing to be speaking about this in a context where I should be basically shutting up? Uh, but throughout the book, what I say is that we need to learn to listen and we also need to learn to be silent. So in a sense, 
it's also a book, you know, where I speak up uh, and talk mostly to white people in that sense, speak up to shut up uh, mm. a bit or to learn yeah. to, to learn to, to not listen. Uh, learn to listen and all that. And yeah, and I do think that there is there is a little bit this risk uh, with uh, the debates on whiteness um, that uh, it would suddenly, you know, come to take center stage in wider debates on race, and that could be problematic because it would be basically recentering or perpetuating the centering of white people in debates on race or in other debates, and thus, you know, by itself, kind of reproducing whiteness. So I think that's that's a, something that is really in, important uh, you yeah. know, to be careful of. But also, yes. I also think that's why it's good to have separate debates uh, on whiteness. And I think that's why your podcast is great, because, you know, focusing specifically on that without considering that it's all of, you know, questions around race at all. It's one aspect of them uh, where conversations are needed. Um, that's important. Um, well, Sarah Ahmed, if you know, um, the scholar um, has, writ has written actually an incredible critique of many of the approaches to whiteness, one of which very much touches on um, what you're referring to now, which is, you know, does the creation of centres for the study of whiteness, discussions on whiteness, as you say, just again, recenter white people in the conversation? Um, I think where I personally come at this issue is that whiteness isn't really about white people in the sense of race. It's about structures of power that have been yeah. created by, uh, you know, Euro patriarchal concepts and figures. And, and so in that sense, it seems to me that sometimes the focus on racism is a focus on the manifestation of the problem rather than on the roots mm -hmm. and whilst we continue to focus on the manifestation we then talk about you know the victims and and you know the the issues that are happening to them and and we have to highlight those things but 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 what about why why are mm -hmm. those things happening um it's it, it felt to me for years like we never really got to that conversation um mm -hmm. of the why um, and I'm just wondering, you I mean, your book talks, obviously your book is called White Denial. Um, do you think that people racialized as white are in denial when it comes to the significance and impact of race and racism in our societies? Um, Here in I, Europe, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, it's, it's a very heated debate at the moment. I think... Um, I, I think denial is basically part of this, you know, wider disposition to the question of race and to, first of all, a range of reflexes and attitudes and rhetorical arguments that are deployed to kind of dismiss, deny or suppress uh, the importance of race. So I, I definitely think that um, there is an element uh, of denial and there is an element of, I would say, much more conscious and tactical uh, dismissal um which which happens you know in different ways because um you know sometimes the idea of denial or the idea of ignorance uh, doesn't entirely capture the kind of tactics behind it uh, if we can think for example i'm going to do a parallel here but um nicolas sarkozy's uh discours de dakar in 2007 uh, so the in, the former french president nicolas sarkozy speaking in senegal 
Yes, speaking in Senegal. So he he did that he did that speech, uh, which was a speech which was like extremely essentialist and racist and extremely simplistic and problematic about the way that he uh, portrayed um, Africans as you know belonging to this kind of internal cycle of life. So it was unbelievably problematic and unbelievably ignorant uh, speech, absolutely. But then I was thinking, is that ignorance uh, really? actual ignorance or is it kind of more tactical ignorance to basically um you know hide power dynamics behind it uh, and i think there is there is an aspect to that so there's an aspect of actual ignorance but there's also an aspect of what i would call more tactical ignorance uh which is basically part of the configuration of power um so 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 yes but i mean the the discussion at the moment for example in france is extremely extremely polarized um, and uh, there are just a range of people who do not want to talk or even address the question of race and uh, you know who I mean there's all these arguments the idea that it would be something that is being imported from the United States and it's completely inapplicable in the French context etc cetera, etc cetera, where we have moved beyond race etc cetera, etc cetera. I think uh, that is you know tactical way to suppress uh, these debates which are actually fundamental um but mm -hmm. well we've, but yes, seen, uh, we've seen this just in the context for those who aren't familiar right so the uh, french uh, government has decided that there is a, a thing called islamo leftism which is perceived as um uh, infecting french campuses with um theories derived from the american context and with a particular i think focus on critical race theory um, and the impact there. And of course, that's completely at odds with France's own perception of itself as this colorblind republic. What, what do you say to um, your compatriots who say, you know, we are a colorblind republic, we don't see race, it doesn't exist here in France, you're just importing uh, a model of analysis which is completely um, uh, unfit for our context? Um... I mean, I, I think there, there, there are several levels of, uh, of those arguments and, and those debates. But uh, I mean, first of all, the idea that it would be imported from the Anglo-Saxon world, which is often portrayed in also in a, a very essentialist way, uh, is completely false. Uh, just because, uh, you know, European theories of race, uh, of race back in the day of, you know, colonialism and all of that, uh, a lot of them came from France. So they were properly homegrown. Um, conceptions of race. A lot of the debates on race and on whiteness, uh, you know, the key authors uh, were from the Francophone world, of course, uh, again, you know, Franz Fanon and Aimé Césaire, but, you know, not just them, like an entire tradition of working on these questions uh, within French universities and then in, in the wider kind of Francophone world. So, the, and, and then the idea that it would be imported from the US is also problematic because um, those supposed theories that are being imported are uh, partly inspired by, you know, French critical theory. So we don't really know what that, I, you know, the, the very nature of thought is that it circulates across the world and is not assignable uh, to a nationality. So that whole idea is, mm. um, I think, really problematic. But Yes, um, I hadn't thought of the erasure, actually, of, you know, homegrown critiques in France, which are international references, you know, like Fanon, like Émile uh, Césaire and, and others. So, yes, but sorry, I interrupted you. 
No, but um, uh, sorry, um, I I think that um, I think that it's I mean it's a complex issue because I do understand this idea that you know we want to create a republic uh, that is uh, that doesn't you know um, discriminate based on race, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So at the fundamentals of it, I, I it's not that I agree, but I understand basically where they come from. But there yeah. is this idea that talking about race uh, would somehow be a form of reinstating or reinstalling racial categorizations, which is just not true. And I think it's really as if we were saying uh, talking about war uh, would be the same thing as doing war. The idea, you know, the idea of talking about race is precisely to talk about the problem. Uh, which is a very clear problem. There is uh, structural racism in France. There are uh, racialized regimes of inequality uh, uh, through, you know, throughout France and throughout various sectors of France. So it's very applicable to France. But this idea that you know talking about it would somehow reinforce it or bring back racial categorization, I think that's that's just just not true. Um, do you, do you think that's a misunderstanding of race, or do you think that's a deliberate obfuscation of the issue? I think it's I, I mean it's it's difficult to speak for you know so many people and such a such a wide ranging debates. Uh, but I think at, it's, at the government level, let's say, which is you know narrows it down a little bit. Yes, I, I think at the government level. So this, uh, you know, this um, this idea of Islamo leftism, uh, which was uh, talked about first by the Minister of Education Jean-Michel Blanquer and then the Minister of uh, Higher Education Frédéric Vidal. Uh, so this idea of an inquiry into Islamo leftism uh, within uh, Fran French uh, universities and, and research in France. Is extremely problematic uh, because, first of all, the you know the concept doesn't mean anything. It doesn't actually, it doesn't correspond to anything that exists uh, within uh, research at all. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't I don't like facile comparisons, but I feel that it's something of the order of the Trump playbook because you you craft craft up a concept that absolutely means nothing. You throw it out there and people will have to try to, you know, rationally oppose that concept. And while they're doing it, you know, it's going to take a lot of energy to kind of oppose that. But the concept is out there and has done its damage because it has decredibilized uh, an entire range of people who are working extremely seriously on issues of race, racism, intersectionality, because it's a lot of things uh, that they're designating uh, in this kind of sphere. And it will have done the damage of discrediting uh, those those people and those debates um, for the public opinion. Uh, so I think uh, that's you know that's a bit of a Trumpist uh, I would say uh, uh, device um, to to do that because yeah I mean how do you start opposing a concept like that? It doesn't mean anything, even though it supposedly comes from. Uh, certain academics who talked about it but everybody knows that it doesn't really mean anything but yeah I mean looking at it um, myself I felt that there was an element of um, a manifestation of whiteness in the use of that term which uh, was an attempt is an attempt um, which by the way isn't just in France but it's also here in the UK a big pushback a great critical race theory 
Uh, we're seeing it in, in Poland and Hungary and, and, of course, in America, where, where Trump sort of um, banned, I think, at one point, the use of, of critical race theory in, in training. Um, so my sense, actually, in the context of whiteness was that this was a card being played to try and stemmy the impact of a theory which is radical in nature in that it decentralizes um, the white perspective, white European uh, perspective, but mm-hmm. that it also subverts power relations in many ways, right? It sort of says, well, you know, the, the version of history being uh, taught to us as history with a capital H is a you know, narrative, um, re- questioning the ways we think about national identity, questioning um, the authority uh, of certain uh, figures and ideas and ideals. Um, so there is something in it which I think is a, um, and what actually part of its appeal, uh, in, in my view, is that it does allow for this subversion of power relations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. What, I mean, what are your, do, you, do you agree with that? Do you think there's something in, in this which is a, a response of, of whiteness, of this power structure to an attempt to uh, try and tug at its monopoly? Yes, uh, I, de- I definitely think so. Uh, I definitely think that uh, it's, I think it's the fact that uh, those, uh, you know, those bodies of thoughts, uh, you know, of which there are, there are several that are being designated by that term. It's the fact that they're being perceived as dangerous uh, by governments uh, means that they're putting their fingers on something that is actually real um, and uh, mm. it means that there is a strength uh, in those um, in those uh, you know forms of thoughts and and, and, and traditions of, of thoughts uh, that are that are being developed I, I absolutely think so I think that um, I think that in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of whiteness uh, it's also the fact that they challenge, and I think that there is an anxiety there, uh, you know, this kind of deep down anxiety of uh, a story that a person has been telling, telling himself or herself, uh, you know, for a very long time and realizes that the story isn't true. Uh, because these because these theories that you know that talk about empire talk about race they really kind of challenge the core narratives uh, that are at the heart of certain societies uh, which you know still often still conceive themselves as, as inherently white i think that it's that you know derailing of the big narrative disorientation of the big narrative uh, which is perceived uh, as a threat uh, yes. I think. and that's why it's generating such kind of strong reactions of suppression of outright uh, attack of you know completely absurd attacks uh, such as this idea of islamo-leftism but it's because it's it's because it's touching something that is you know quite fundamental i think uh, and yeah yeah i agree and i and i wonder for people who are sort of outside of the french context thinking well you know why islamo-leftism <laughs> i don't i don't know I mean, uh, I, 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 I ask this because the um, what is chosen as the uh, quote unquote enemy or the target of whiteness is very instructive of uh, what whiteness is uh, continuing to fuel its own sense of power from. And uh, what I mean by that, there's a, a kind of dialectical relationship, right, which is 
there's a perceived um, other that whiteness, um, the, the structures of power of whiteness seek to um, assert itself over. And in that sense, what is it about the term Islamo and leftist? Uh, what do those terms tell us about what whiteness in this current juncture considers to be a threat? Um, yes, I mean, I I, th I think it's really, I mean, France uh, and uh, several European countries are in a situation of, you know, acute polarization around issues of terrorism, etc. And the, you know, the kind of violent conflict that is playing out uh, uh, on, you know, across the world on, on these issues around terrorism and all that. I don't want to talk specifically about that, but the, the polar polarization um, that is coming out of that is something that they're tapping into by using this term um, and basically weaponizing it against other, you know, threats, notably, for example, intersectional theory, gender theory, um, you know, discussions around race. So I think it's a very tactical weaponization of, of, of you know, um, things that are happening uh, on the European continent uh, and broader fears, etc. Mm. Um, it's being very tactical. I, I, I mean, there, there was an article by uh, Pierre-André Taguieff uh, who apparently coined that term and who uh, interestingly and, and somewhat surprisingly uh, is an academic who has been working on racism for a long time and he coined that term. Uh, there's a long article that came out uh, recently where he kind of explains where it comes from, uh, but I read it and I found that, you know, it doesn't really hold. <laughs> it's not convincing. It's basically lumping a lot of things together and, you know, a lot of uh, simplifications and all that to craft this term, which was mm. then which was then recuperated uh, by the far rights and then politicians. But it's basically a weaponized term. And now the French government. And now, yeah, exactly. And now the French government's, uh, you know, asking yeah. the, the CNRS to do an inquiry on Islam leftism and the CNRS saying, you know, that thing doesn't actually exist. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. it doesn't exist, but we'll still <laughs> conduct the yeah. study for you, I think, is, is what was said. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess I think what I was slightly getting at is that um, whiteness relies on othering. And yep. in the French context, the historical other has been um, you know, if the historical other in, in, in America has always been the African-American, um, mm -hmm. although Latinos would also be included in that. And at different points, the Japanese. Right. So anyone excluded yep. from whiteness, but different groups have been the focus of that othering um, yep. at different points. I think in France, you know, the, the focus on on Islamo fascism, so on Islam is not. Uh, anodyne when we consider that there is um, a, a large proportion, uh, you know, around 7% of the population who are of North African background, not all practicing or identifying Muslims, but certainly a, a large portion, um, and who have been that historical and con contemporaneous other. Uh, and so yep. it's interesting to me that the, the, the kind of narrative of uh, sort of trying to consolidate who has the authority to speak, who has the authority to put out knowledge that is considered to be authoritative. Well, it's us and it's definitely not them. And the them mm -hmm. is is the um, Islamo uh, leftist. But anyway, we, 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 <laughs> we could talk about that for the for the whole seance. Um, I wanted to go back to the book briefly um, and uh, quote another section where you say, 
even when we do recognise the clear and present urgency of the question of race, of the impact of the crash, our reaction is usually to look for those who have suffered from it and to think that we should help them in some way. But they do not need any help and they certainly do not need our help. They have painfully but steadfastly lifted the veil of suffering that race has borne upon them, contemplated the world as it is, and crafted new ways of seeing the world and imagining the future. Um, And I wanted to pick up on, I guess, two things in there that struck me. One is this idea that um, uh, a lot of people think that anti-racism work is about helping um, people of colour. And and from what you just said there, that wouldn't be your take. Um, And so I'd love for you to comment on that. And and secondly, um, uh, you know, you talk about them having created um, another way of seeing the world. Do we need another way of seeing and being in the world as people racialized as white? Thanks. Uh, yes, I mean, that's that's a very complex question. But I think, I mean, I think this idea that uh, we should help, um, and later in the book I really explore it in the context of uh, my work uh, on the African continent, and, uh, for example, the fact that I felt extremely uneasy with, uh, you know, the white savior complex, uh, and I kind of retreated my my positionality into this idea of, you know, I'm just here to understand. Uh, As an academic, I'm just here to try to understand uh, society and all that, which is equally problematic because we know that vis-a-vis the African continent, understanding has never been neutral. Uh, We know that, you know, there's a long history of social sciences and and writers and all that actually crafting the language, uh, which was crafting the language, the concepts that, that allowed colonial power to invest the continent. Um, so, but basically, um, the thing is that I think this idea of we need to help, um, I think, of course, we need to, you know, we have a responsibility for, you know, the world we live in, but to consider that we as white people would have this kind of superior uh, sense of responsibility, and this superior responsibility to help, I think that's fundamentally problematic, because within it is still instilled and, and, and constructed this I, this complex of superiority and this idea that uh, basically the you know the um, the future of the world is in our hands and it's not mm. and I think that that is what we need to recognize uh, and it's only via a dialogue that is um, conscious of all these issues that's a, a dialogue uh, that will happen you know, uh, that will take a long time. It's not just becoming conscious over a second. It requires a deeper education. But um, it's it's not basically white people suddenly turning on themselves and saying, "Oh, we did wrong. Now we need to help the rest of the world." I think that's really the fundamentals of the you know the white savior complex, mm. uh, which has which has much more kind of you know complex manifestations in other cases. So that's that's really why I say that mm. uh, because the book is really about, not about you know should, you know how should we help uh, those who have been affected by these systems, but actually how should we change the way that we conceive the world and the way that we approach the world. Um, and yes, I do think we need to 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 conceive some new ways of, of being in the world, of seeing the world. It doesn't mean that we don't have uh, access to traditions of doing that. Uh, you know, it's not, um, I mean, the, the entire kind of colonial history is not just everybody was, you know, colonist and all that. So we can, there are threads of our own history that we can bring through to craft this new way of seeing the world. But I think it's, it's quite important. Absolutely. 
And so you're referring there, and I, I, I think it's a really important point to the fact that there were people who resisted, right? There were people racialized as white, there were Europeans who disagreed with um, the, the structure of empire, who resisted slavery as an institution. And so um, part of recapturing our humanity or, or, or seeking to um, re uh, reassert that humanity would maybe be reaffirming the importance of um, the resistance to empire rather than a glorification to it. Would that be where you're going with that? Yes, um, yes, absolutely. That would be that would be a part of it. Um, I think it would also mean uh, this this entire idea of decentering ourselves and and learning other ways of knowing, learning other languages. To you know, to be to to basically listen to not just you know the the white Eurocentric world, but listening to the rest of the world. Uh, all of those things, you know, together basically to 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 craft a, a new disposition onto the world uh, rather than the one that we inherited. Um, but I'm not saying this, you know, in a simplificatory way in the book as if, you know, we could just kind of supersede this history. Uh, as I said, I don't think we can easily leave it, but we can we can strive to it. And yes, a part of it is, you know, remembering, you know, the history of resistance uh, that that has existed in multiple manifestations, intellectual, actual uh, resistance, et cetera, et cetera, in, in several fields. Um, Absolutely, I, I think that's important. Um, and and that would be presumably alongside the recognition of the crimes of empire yes. and slavery so that we didn't uh, kind of whitewash the narrative, as it were, um, of European involvement in the world. Is would that, would that be fair from your perspective as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the, the most important is first to to learn about the, you know, the history of, of imperialism and, and what what it did to the world, what it did to ourselves, and really not, you know, not uh, sidestep that in any way. Uh, that's that's the fundamentals of it, absolutely. Um, before we head to the quick fire, fire round, um, I just wanted to ask you about this question that comes up a lot, which is the idea that racism is a problem of ignorance. Um, and mm -hmm. the reason I say that is because I, I experience a certain level of discomfort personally when I think about, um, you know, when people say, oh, well, it's just it's just it's just ignorance. And I think to myself, well, to what extent is ignorance as a response to racism simply a deflection and a failure to take stock of things that others are having to take stock of so what, what i mean mm -hmm. what do you think is it is it a problem of ignorance is ignorance part of the problem um i think i think um there is ignorance um there is ignorance but there it's not this you know nice little conception of ignorance uh, it, it's there has been strategic in ignorance so i think there is calculated ignorance uh, and I'm also very uneasy with this idea that, oh, we didn't know, we ignored about it. Or even, you know, some more sophisticated versions of this, for example, when we talk about unconscious bias. Uh, so this idea that, you know, racism or, you know, r racialist attitudes or racist attitudes, a part of it is actually unconscious. Mm. I feel that both um, the problem with both those concep conceptions is that they de-responsibilize us and allow us to not you know have 
any responsibility in what has been happening. And I think that's really the wrong approach. Uh, that first of all, you know, a lot of ignorance is calculated. Uh, a lot of it is very conscious uh, processes, actually very, you know, very conscious processes of racism and, you know, of, for example, uh, I don't know, politics and all that at, at larger levels uh, occurring that are extremely, you know, conscious and strategic. Um, and uh, that the fundamental question is the fun question of our responsibility and just saying, you know, we ignored or we didn't know I agree that that's problematic and I don't really believe it entirely either. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, so quick fire round, if I may. Um, the quick fire round, but not um, simple questions. What is the root of racism? Um, <laughs> I think em empire. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it, is there such a thing as a post-racial worldview? Is the universalist ideal ever achievable or even desirable? Um, I, I think it's desirable. Um, I'm not certain it's achievable, but it can be thrived uh, towards. At least it can be, you know, an ideal or an objective, but not one that is, you know, the, the kind of easy conception of it. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, answers for that. Yes, <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, it's a tough one in, in a quick fire round. Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism and why? Yes, I think it's a useful tool because it has a th strength of naming, uh, so it doesn't allow things to dissolve. Uh, I do think that we need to be careful with essentialist conceptions of whiteness because as a configuration of power, it's necessarily situated both historically, so it might be in certain cases not uh, that relevant anymore as compared to other kind of configurations of power. So I think it's very important to always qualify and define what we mean uh, by by racism uh, by uh, whiteness great that's a long one um yeah that's fine thank you so much um for people who want to stay abreast of what you are working on who want to read a bit more about what you do is there anywhere they can find your work uh yes uh, so on my on my university web page uh, i'm not very good at online presence but i'm going to try to be a bit better but most of it is centralized uh, if you type my name there's the ids uh, at the university of sussex uh, website that comes up and i try to uh, list things out there right and, and if people want to buy your book i always um say do you have a bookseller of preference that people people could turn to at the moment it would be only the french edition le denis blanc but if anyone's uh, francophone or, or great at reading french where could they where could they get that book um that's a very good question i think it can be bought directly on the website of the publisher but i didn't check i would have to come back with with that uh, it's available in various platforms online uh i would i would recommend certain libraries in in french cities but uh i think people won't necessarily travel to them but uh, uh well but yeah, right I'll, now i can put a link or something can't. Yes, if you could um, pop a link up on uh, maybe your uh, Twitter and then people can uh, see where they could purchase the book. Well, I have to say a big thank you to Dr. Gauthier Marché. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations about whiteness.